Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. For those of you I haven't met yet, I'm Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And I have to say that yesterday I was getting all ready to come here this morning and to pump us all up for a good Dodger game today, a fun game five, and then uh, didn't, didn't really go that way, did it? But at least we have the Rams, right? Mm, that's right. At least we have the Lakers, right? Yeah. Uh, church attendance is going to be good this fall. <laughs> so we are looking at Joseph's story in the book of Genesis, and we're coming up to the end of this sermon series. This is our second to last week we'll be looking at Joseph. And this week, we're looking at uh, the moment where Joseph is reunited with his father. And when he turns to his brothers, and he tells them what's going to happen in the future for them. So I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 46, verses 28 through 34. And I invite you to hear the word of God. And as I read this too, just a reminder that Israel is another name for Jacob, who is Joseph's father, just in case there's any confusion there. The Bible says, Israel sent Judah ahead to Joseph to lead the way before him into Goshen. When they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet his father Israel in Goshen. He presented himself to him, fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, I can die now, having seen for myself that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our ancestors in order that you may settle in the land of Goshen, because all shepherds are abhorrent to the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and please join me in prayer. Lord, we know that it's you who has brought us here together. We know that you have gathered us so that we can be your people in this world, so we can model your love, your kindness, your grace to this world so that we could reveal your character. And as we continue to look at Joseph, we know that he is lifted up in your scriptures as a hero. He's lifted up as an example, as somebody that we should all strive to to, to be like. But Lord, we know that he's lifted up in that way, not because of anything within him, but because he reflects your character, because he gives us a glimpse of how you want your people to treat others, to behave to trust in you, the type of assurance and faith that he has is one that you want each of us to have, Lord, and that you offer each of us. So help us again this week to learn from Joseph. Help us again to be taught by his example. Help us to be more like you by looking at him so that we might show your grace to others, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, it's in your name we pray, amen. Now, as I mentioned, this is a pretty impactful scene. Joseph and his father are reunited. 
after years, maybe decades of being apart, after Jacob thinking that his son was dead because his other sons had led him to believe that, there they are together, being reunited. And in the midst of that, Joseph turns to his brothers and begins laying out for them what's going to happen with them now. He tells them that they can go and settle in this land called Goshen and that they should go to Goshen and that that's a place where they'll be able to live, where they'll be cared for throughout this famine. Now, Goshen in the late 1800s was identified as a part of northern Egypt up top there. But you can see on the map, maybe, it's up top. But they don't know precisely where Goshen was exactly or what the city looked like. There's actually not a lot that's known about Goshen. Goshen, Egypt. There's also a town called Goshen, Indiana, where we know a lot about that one. But here in Egypt with Goshen, there's not a lot that is known about this. The name Goshen doesn't seem to have any sort of meaning in Hebrew. When it's translated into Greek later, it, they use a word called cultivated. So it would make sense that this is cultivated land. This is farmed land. If they're shepherds, maybe they're going to go there. But by and large, Goshen is pretty unknown to us. We don't know a lot of the details about this land. The only other thing the Bible really mentions is that in 400 years after Joseph settles his brothers there, Moses will lead the Israelites out of Goshen in the Exodus. And I think it's a good thing that we don't know a lot about Goshen. Because the more we would get caught up in those details, the more I think we would lose sight of how Goshen is actually functioning in this story. When you read this story of Joseph with his brothers, this land of Goshen, it's functioning as a symbol of grace. That's really what it's serving as in this story. Goshen is a symbol, a representation, an example of grace. In this story, it's not just a land, it's not just a place, but it's grace extended. I have to say, I was anticipating preaching a sermon on grace and having Grace Hughes here, but she's not. I was always wondering, when you have a name like Grace or Faith or Hope, what is church like when your name is being mentioned over and over again? I'll ask her that later. But this is a symbol of grace. And grace is one of those words that when you come to church, you are going to hear it over and over and over again. And you might be wondering, how is this a symbol of grace if the word grace doesn't show up in this story in Genesis at all? Well, I think it's hard for many of us to spot grace when we see it in action because that word is used so often. It gets thrown around in so many different settings, so many different contexts. We use it, and oftentimes people just assume the meaning of it. But the word grace can mean all sorts of different things. I actually went this last week and looked up different definitions of grace to see just how wide of a range of meaning it can have. And I want to share those with you to just highlight for you how dry and devoid of meaning this word can be because it can mean so many different things. And I want to warn you, this is the part of the sermon where you may get bored. 
I know that because when I was practicing with my wife, this was the part where she would get up and start working on chores, and I remember, oh yeah, you're preaching, and then sit down. (laughs) Then I'd watch her eyes glaze over for a little bit. But the good news is, if I bore you, you know I'm not going to preach for longer than about 20 minutes, so you can endure it. But here's the different meanings I found for grace. Simple elegance or refinement of movement, as in, she moved through the water with effortless grace. Courteous goodwill, at least he has the grace to admit his debt to her. In Christian belief, the free and unmerited favor of God. It can also be a period officially allowed for payment of a sum due or for compliance with a law or condition, especially an extended period granted as a special favor. Another three days grace period, when it talks about debts and finances. A short prayer of thanks said before or after a meal, as in, before dinner, the Reverend Lucia said grace. Used as forms of description or address for a duke, duchess, or archbishop, as in, her grace, the Duke of Stonebridge, Grace Hughes. And then in Greek mythology, there were three goddesses, and one of them was grace. Those are seven different meanings that the word grace can have that are common. And there's other meanings beyond that as well. When words get used this often, they lose their meaning. And we begin just filling in the gaps ourselves. And when we do that, I think we can lose sight of what the biblical writers were trying to help us understand with the word grace and what it actually points to. And I want to say the Greek isn't any more helpful here. When you go to the Greek word that gets translated as grace, it has at least five different meanings. It can be a winning quality or attractiveness that invites favorable reaction. It can be a beneficent disposition towards someone. It could be a practical application of goodwill, a sign of favor, a gracious deed or gift. It could be exceptional effect produced by generosity. It can be a response to generosity of beneficence. With those definitions, you also have to go look up what the word beneficent means too. At least I did. Twelve different things this one word can mean. Whenever we hear these types of common words, it's hard to capture exactly what is being used there, what is being said. And whenever we try to use these character traits that really flow from God, we try to just use other words to describe them, other abstract terms, and just try to do definitions, we're going to fall short of what the idea actually is behind the word. Now, one writer I like, Friedrich Buechner. He's a Presbyterian writer and pastor. He captured grace using definitions the best that I think I've seen someone do. He writes this about grace. The grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are. Because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. Buechner goes on to say, there's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. I think he captures grace well there. As best as somebody can with trying to do a definition, However, even that seems to fall short to me of what the Bible is talking about with grace. And at the end of the day, I think we get to a point with a lot of these terms that are connected to God's character, that are central to God's character, we get to a point where we have to give up on our own definitions and simply trust the pictures that Jesus gives us 
with his words. And when you go and you look at how Jesus tries to describe what grace is, he doesn't give simple definitions most often. When Jesus is trying to explain what grace is, show the character of God, he most often uses stories. He paints pictures. He gives concrete examples of what grace looks like. And I think that reveals to us what grace actually is in practice. One of the stories Jesus uses is the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. We've all been familiar with that story to some extent. We've at least heard that phrase. I've preached on the Good Samaritan a few times here at Stonebridge. The Good Samaritan is a simple story. A man who we presume is an Israelite is beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. Nobody's going to help him except for a Samaritan. And the trick here is that Samaritans and Israelites are enemies. They despise one another. They wouldn't help one another. They wouldn't be good neighbors to one another. But it's the Samaritan who picks the man up from the side of the road, carries him to an inn, provides for him, and doesn't just make sure he's okay there at the inn. He pays for him to stay there extra days. Make sure all of his needs are taken care of. Make sure he has food. Somebody who is supposed to be an enemy is cared for. That's grace. Another story that Jesus uses is one that's known as the prodigal son. In this one, it's another famous one. A son comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now, which is a slap in the face to his father. But the father complies. He gives him his inheritance. The son goes off, wastes it all. Everything the father had built up, wanting to leave to his sons, his son just wastes it. Finds himself in a bad place, envying the food pigs are eating. And he says, I should go back to my father and I should ask to be a servant. Travels back to his father. And what does his father do when he sees his son? He runs out as fast as he can. He hugs him. He throws a big party for him and he restores him back to his place as a son, not a servant, not the lowly place the son was seeking, but he provides excess for him. That's grace. Someone who has harmed somebody else, someone who has hurt somebody else, someone who has wasted something that another person happened, had, is then provided for, is then cared for. That's Grace. And that's why I say, when we look at Jesus's pictures and examples of grace, why this story with Joseph and his brothers is a story of grace. And Goshen is a symbol of grace. Remember all that has happened to this point. Joseph's brothers sought to take his life. They decided at the end to not do that. And instead, they sold him into slavery. They sent him down into Egypt as a slave. They robbed him of all of his years where he could have been with family. He could have been with friends. He could have been with his father who loved him dearly. They sent him into a life of slavery, a life in prison where he was forgotten. They made clear how little they cared about him and how much they wanted him gone. Think about all of the years that were robbed of Joseph And yet, last week, we talked about how he forgave his brothers. But this week, he extends grace to them. 
Forgiveness is the idea that somebody doesn't owe you anything. But grace is when somebody who should owe you something ends up being someone that you bestow something upon. You give to somebody who should, by rights, owe you. They don't deserve it. That's what Joseph is doing here with Goshen. He gives them this land. He arranges this land for them. He tells them what to say to Pharaoh. He cares for them so that they will be taken care of throughout this famine, so they won't starve, so they will be okay. They don't deserve it at all. How do you give land to people who did to Joseph what his brothers did to him? That's a challenge, and that's grace. Joseph does not have to do this, but he does. I think that grace is one of those calls that's on our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that is incredibly difficult. I think it's much harder, actually, than forgiveness, too. Oh, well, I'll try to explain it better then, Siri. <laughs> I think grace is harder than forgiveness for the AI in the room. But this is the deep call of God on our lives. This is the challenge that is placed in front of us. And the only way we can get to a place of bestowing grace on others, which is what we're called to do as Jesus' followers, is by resting in the grace of God first and foremost. The Bible is very, very clear. We were all once enemies with God. We were all once at odds with God. We as human beings chose to rebel against God. We harm God and we harm one another constantly. And yet God is the one who picks us up off the side of the road and cares for us throughout our lives and in the resurrection of Jesus. God is the one who, when he sees us taking those first steps walking back to him, he runs out and holds us in his arms. God is the one who gives us land, even though we've harmed him and harmed one another. God's grace is extended to each and every one of us, and that's what would allow us to extend it to others. So how do you give land to somebody who harmed you the way Joseph's brothers did? The only way I see is that you're so rooted in the character of God. You're so aware of all that God has done for you, for humanity, that it just becomes natural to do likewise for others. So question for us, who is there in your life who is supposed to be an enemy? Who is there in your life who has wronged you, who has wronged others? Who is there in your life that you could bestow grace upon? That you could figure out how to care for them, to seek their interests somehow? That's, I think, the challenge of grace for us today in this world. Joseph gives his brothers Goshen. God gives us Jesus hope in the resurrection and the promise of a future resurrection to come? What is it that we can give to others so that they can understand that same hope, experience God's grace through us? And who has God brought into your life that you can do that? All right. Siri's got a lot of things to say. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you first reach out to us. We thank you that you are a God 
who calls us to reach out to those we would consider enemies, who calls us to reach out to those who might seek to discard us. And Lord, to figure out how we might seek their interest, not just so that we can feel good, but so that they can understand who you are. They can understand all that you've done for them. They can understand that you are a God who loves them, who cares for them, and they can place their hope in your resurrection and have faith in you, Lord. So Lord, give us what we need to extend grace to others. Give us what we need to model your grace to this world.
of sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted let rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come near earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal no earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal Lay down your burden Lay down your shame All who are broken Lift up your face Oh wanderer, come home You're not too far There's hope for the hopeless and all those who stray. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary and rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. Sorrow that heaven can heal.